Welcome to Web3 Unpacked. I'm your host, Rich Pasqua, founder and CEO of ARC. Each week we unpack the Web3 revolution. Join us as we discover and explore the people, projects, and visionaries building the trusted web. Hello, and welcome to Web3 Unpacked. We're excited to have Jason Pfeiffer, Editor-in-Chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, join us today. Besides his day-to-day at Entrepreneur Magazine, Jason is an avid speaker at industry events, he hosts multiple podcasts, and is the author of Build for Tomorrow, his recent book, which dives into the power of ideas and adapting to change. Welcome, Jason. Welcome, everyone, to Web3 Unpacked. We have Jason Pfeiffer here editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, and we're going to jump into some really interesting topics today. Welcome. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate thanks it. Thanks for joining us, Jason. Of course. So, all right, let's get into it right out of the gate. We got your book here. We bought yeah. it. We've Thank read you. it. We love it. Build for tomorrow. So you discuss a lot of interesting concepts around adapting and adjusting to new norms. I think if there's one thing that's consistent in the Web3 space, in crypto, in blockchain, it's adjusting to new norms. Um, I guess what, what advice would you have for entrepreneurs in this area and, and how can they apply some of the principles and methods you've written about maybe in this field? Yeah. So here's the thing that from the book and from a lot of speaking to entrepreneurs and, and thinkers about change that I think is most relevant to the web three folks. Okay. I'm going to tell you a story as you'll find in the book, I speak through story and for many reasons that's because abstract concepts are kind of hard for people to you know lodge in their brains stories are not in the early days of the car i know didn't expect that but i promise to wrap <laughs> the <around>. car <laughs> in the early days of the car uh, people didn't call it the car they called it the horseless carriage and that's if they were being generous otherwise they called it the devil wagon because they hated this thing they threw rocks at it if it ro- drove down the street they'd yell get a horse at this thing they threw they yelled get a horse at this car people hated the car and now when we talk about how the car became the dominant mode of transportation We tell the story of Henry Ford, that Henry Ford revolutionized manufacturing, made cars more affordable and accessible, and therefore drove adoption. True as that is, it also skips over a really important lesson, a really important step. Uh, And this was told to me by a car historian, which is that in the early days, the automobile manufacturers talked about the car as a replacement to the horse. Get rid of Dobbin, their early advertisement said, Dobbin being the name of a a generic name of a horse, like spot for a dog, get rid of Dobbin and get this, get this car. Because, you know, the way that the auto industry saw it was this was just a significantly better option versus this old standard of a horse. But you know what? People hated that. And they should have hated that because, and here's the reason I'm telling you this story, because people hate new things. They do. They hate new things. You know what they like? They like better versions of old things. That's what they like. Right. And this is something that innovators often forget because innovators are so familiar with the value of the thing that they are working on that they forget that that value does not make any sense to the people that they're talking to. And so a gulf exists between people who are on one side of a bridge and who are on another. 
And what we need to do is we need to, as innovators, build what I like to call a bridge of familiarity, which is that we understand where people are and then we build a bridge from them to us rather than the other way around. And this is what ultimately the car industry did. So they started to advertise the car not as a better horse, or rather, I'm sorry, not as a replacement to the horse, but as a better horse. They started to talk about cars in terms of horses. They started to use terms like horsepower. They started to name cars after horses. They started to put mechanical horse heads on the front of cars, which we don't do today, but you see where they were going. And as a result, they started to respect where people were, that people loved their horse, that the horse was a member of the family, that what they wanted was an upgraded horse, not a replacement to the horse. I think that the challenge in Web3 and frankly, the thing that frustrates me is someone who, you know, talks to very smart people in that space, but I am not of that space. It's not the world in which I operate, is that I think that too many Web3 companies and people have skipped the step where they are really helping people come along on the journey. Mm. And instead, they are talking about it as if it is a massive, much better replacement for everything that people already know and have. And people don't understand that. And frankly, they don't really like it. And they don't know what you're talking about. And, uh, and, and I think that the Web3 community would do really well to, at least when it's speaking publicly to people who are not in the Web3 space, to slow it down and to start where people are, not where you want them to get to. Mm. Yeah, the, it, Jason, that's, I, I love the whole bridge analogy. We see it every single day. And then, you know, not to bring up FTX, but it's unavoidable at these at these times. Yeah. So much of what people got new users, let's be clear about that. New users got caught up in is the old way 2.0 mm -hmm. that was supposed to go to decentralized networks and then information passed like your keys um, back to the user. But somehow that was kind of bastardized um, and kind of taken advantage of. So we understand, even from a, a design UI standpoint, it's so important to just make it very user-friendly, onboarding, offboarding, buying, selling, making it super, uh, super easy. We're, we're, there's, you know, we've been taken back a notch now, several notches. And to your point, we have to really refocus on how to tell good stories, how to bring onboard people properly uh, from using 2.0 techniques, but truly within a decentralized world. So it, it's really poignant. Um, love the horsepower uh, analogy as well. And Mustang still uses the horse uh, to this and, day. So. And so does Bronco and many more. Right. Yeah, you Absolutely. know what? And, and I'll say, I don't think that being, I mean, look, what I mean, what I'm about to say is not an endorsement of FTX, but, <laughs> um, but I don't think it's such a bad thing to have to take a couple steps back. Um, because, uh, because you know, the, the, I'll tell you as somebody not in the space fully immersed, the frustration that I hear from people is that they're being told that this thing is going to revolutionize everything, but they're, <laughs> they're not exactly seeing it on the ground level for themselves right now. Right. Uh, they're hearing, they're hearing a lot of big, big talk, but you know, if I'm running, if I'm running a business right now, I don't want to have to learn a whole new way of doing something. I, I, I just, I just want to be able to run my business. And if you've got a better way for me to do that and it's easy for me to apply, then great, let's do it. But, you know, I think that the, 
in some ways the 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 way in which the technology has been presented to people is is larger than the current available for most people application and that's creating a dissonance that that is leading to frustration and and a and a and a, 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 a like a a disinterest, I think, with the space that I don't think is is ultimately that that productive. Now, it also doesn't matter because as this as the space develops more into more maturely and more solutions that are easier, you know, plug and play solutions come along, people will say, "Oh, well, now I finally understand this." But in the meantime, I, I just don't think it's such a bad thing to be able to have to step back and say, "All right, let's." Let's talk about what this is and right now was what it isn't. Well, Jason, the one thing that resonates is that idea of, I think people want to see utility, right? Like that's they don't right. want to just hear big ideas that's going to change their life. Rich, this is something we talk about all the time is that we want to see real utility in this space. And you're, Jason, am I right that you're almost saying it'd be nice to see some incremental growth? Like, hey, here's a really quantifiable way to improve X, Y, Z, as opposed to 20 years in the future, all these amazing things are going to happen without a quantifiable uh, immediate benefit. Without question. I mean, look, of course, it depends on the audience that you're talking to, right? I mean, if you're, if you're having a conversation and I mean, on this show, the, your listeners are going to be deeply immersed in, in Web3. So you can have all sorts of very big 20 year out conversations. And, that, and that's great because everybody can be thinking about not just where this is going, but how to build it. But when you're talking to somebody outside of the space, what they want, they want it. They don't want to know, oh, at some point I'm going to have to throw away literally everything that I know about, about like the core technology that I use and then like learn this whole other thing. That sounds exhausting. Nobody wants that. So what, what they're going to want is small, useful, incremental things. Don't tell me how everything is going to get revolutionized. I don't want everything to be get revolutionized. What I want is a tool. You got one tool for me that I can just use now? No? Okay, well, come back when I've got when you got it, and I'll use that. That's how people think. Again, people don't like new things. They want better versions of old things. That's where you have to meet them. Yeah, yeah. And one of the conversations we always, always have working with protocols or people developing applications for Web3 is the idea of showing or leading through example or use cases. And that's one of the one of the little details that I really like about your podcast, Problem Solvers, mm -hmm. because you're taking real world people, real world um, business problems and entrepreneurial uh, problems, and we all have them, trust me. Um, and you're you're shining a light on it in a good way and show, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, um, and it's truthful and honest. Um, and what we're hearing from people is, you know, when you have someone who kind of knows about Web3 or maybe is even immersed, they would say, hey, Rich, th this is great and all, but show me a use case. Yeah. Show me how this works. Um, and I'm talking less about the 2.0-esque to 3.0 uh, phony exchanges that we've seen I'm, and talking truly about trustless networks um, that are rooted in, in true blockchain technology. But yeah. Use cases are the the heart and soul of this. It's going to and the narrative. Exactly. The narrative needs to change, um, and we need to be we need to bubble up and put honesty first mm -hmm. and trust first, um, and everything else will 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 fall into place for sure. Random question, Jason: Are there any Web three projects or areas from you know 
from entrepreneurs perspective, from your perspective that have, that you find most interesting or any that you find least interesting? Just curious. Well, the one, because I see things through use cases, um, the things that are most interesting to me are the ones that feel like they're closest to existing products or existing services. Mm -hmm. um, and now I think the bridge that needs to be crossed is why on a tangible, not an abstract, a very tangible level and without having to make massive changes to how somebody thinks, can Web3 be a better solution? So things that intrigue me are um, loyalty programs and, uh, and um, um, you know, community builders. The, you know, th these, these are things that already exist in a Web2 world. And the Web3 world is saying, look, there's a better way to run these. Now, the challenge that I see is that when you're talking to the average entrepreneur who, who understands loyalty programs, you don't have to explain loyalty programs to them. They understand it. They're using it. They see a value in loyalty programs. But, you know, right now when, when I hear an entrepreneur say, okay, how can a Web3 loyalty program be better than the Web2 loyalty program I have? Suddenly we spin off very fast into a complete, well, consumers have to think completely differently and it's about ownership and it's going to be about trading this equity. And, the, and, and that's just, you know, that's too far away from how the average person <laughs> thinks about loyalty programs. So I, I like that it's tackling a familiar problem. But I don't think that the solution is familiar enough yet. So I mm. find those conversations very interesting. Yeah, one of the things we do, and we talk a lot about royalty programs and everything else, but one of the things we try and do, especially because some of our – I come from a branding and design background and a creative background, and I want – I want my colleagues, my former colleagues and, and partners and, and from the past and present and future to really understand this, that it is exciting – but trying to shepherd them with language that they understand and telling them that the tools that you have built, to your point earlier, uh, Jason, the tools and models you've built are not destroyed. You're, you, you still have those tools in your tool belt. You just now have different options through technology. So, and, and that's the spark that creates really ingenious ideas. You know, um, Adidas and Nike really, you know, jumping off. Starbucks with their loyalty program, uh, amazing. Um, they're using, and they're actually abandoning Web 3.0 language for that reason, so that it is more comfortable. It is more um, accessible, if you will, mm -hmm. for, for the average consumers. But our marketers and branding uh, experts out there and advertising experts have to understand that we're not throwing things away. We're just adapting to new tools and we're going to expand on those tools. I, I think it's just, I got a, um, a plus abandoning web three language I, for the average <laughs> consumer that I think that's we really keep hearing be, that. Yeah. yeah it's going to be yeah. critical because people don't understand it or, or it immediately signals either, ah, I'm, I don't understand this or, Oh, I do understand this and it's not for me. Um, which, you know, may mean that they don't really understand it, but it doesn't matter at that point. Um, you know, it reminds me of, there's a, um, there's a company, gosh, I wish I could remember the name of it off the top of my head, but they make a little, they make a little composting, um, uh, uh, hardware. It, it's it basically it's like it's this 
big, beautiful looking white spherical thing and you put your food scraps into it and it, and it composts it like right there in a short amount of time, turns it into this like sludge that you can go spill on the, on the soil. Um, and they very consciously, intentionally never use the word compost. You won't find it anywhere. It is a compost program that never uses the word compost. It's not on the website. It's not on the product. Instead, what they do is they talk about a better trash system. Because people understand trash. They understand that trash is a problem. It can be really stinky. Here's a way to 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 get rid of your stinky trash. And yeah. and people and I talked to them about why they did that. They said they 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 listened to their audience. They did a lot of surveys. They found that compost to most people means a very specific thing. And people immediately either say, I am or I am not a compost person. But everybody has to deal with trash. And so you use a different language to get people in. And then once they're using the product, it doesn't matter what it's called. Mm. I might add organic trash, but <laughs> because there's lots of trash out yes. there. Yes, yeah, 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 That is true. That is true. I, I love composting, by the way. We do it here at my house. Um, but I'm going to look into that actual device. That looks <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, oh, I, I found it. It's called the Lomi. So um, oh, nice. Lomi. Cool. L, it's called the L O M I Lomi, and uh, uh, and it's it's by a company called um, called Viome, um, I think. Uh, uh, just double checking this. Um, and uh, uh, where is the? Oh no no no! It's not called. It's. No, I'm sorry. Uh, it is called Lomi. I just. I think I got the. Uh, oh, it's from a company called Pila. Pila makes it Lomi. Don't worry about biome. Anyway, look at you. Can look at the website. Lomi makes your family's food waste disappear at the oh, touch of a go. button. There it is. Right. Um, uh, no more food waste rotting in your kitchen. You can scroll all day long. You will not find the word compost on this website for, for <clears> Lomi. Um, and that is very intentional. I thought it was fascinating. Yeah, plain plain English um, sans the you know tech jargon. Right. Um, I also really like some of the hydroponic uh, in-house uh, hydroponic solutions for fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. Really, really cool. Um, Jason, w one thing that we're very curious about, you know, with everything that's happening in the world, from technology companies uh, blowing up and imploding, and you know, political stuff and and everything going on. What is what does the modern entrepreneur look like these days? You know, maybe attitude, tools, anything. You know, it's funny. I I think, you know, I mean wrapped up in a bunch of wrapped up in a bunch of what you just said there and sort of summarizing a chaotic world, right? Like Elon Musk is sort of weaves through it. And um <laughs> and and I think, you know, to me the greatest frustration about Elon Musk is that, I mean, whatever, there are many, but for the purposes of this conversation is that, um, is that he is, he seems to understand Twitter from his own experience of Twitter, which is a, uh, power user with, uh, however many millions, possibly hundreds of millions of followers, um, who are basically engaging with the gigantic cultural clashes of the day. But I, I just think that that's the wrong way to understand the product that he now owns because for the average person, they are not experiencing that and that's not what they come for. They come to like see a joke or they come because they are watching the World Cup and they want to make a statement about it. Like for most people, it's just a it's just a different experience. And I think that we get lost in thinking that everybody is tied up into like one large massive conversation. You know, when I when I think about entrepreneurs, the, the funny people will sometimes they'll have me on their like 
radio show and then they'll they'll ask me you know like oh what do entrepreneurs think about the some <laughs> tax thing or something right or yeah. think about the, you know some some antitrust thing that the government's doing and i was like you know what entrepreneurs are really busy running their businesses <laughs> and it's like it's 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 boring everyday work that's what they're consumed with um and uh and and often they don't have time for this whole big thing that you're consumed by which is this, this sort of larger structural conversations which aren't unimportant but i actually just don't think is the thing that the day-to-day -day entrepreneur has to think about so like I mean, or, or that they're too busy thinking about. It. They got to they got to work on what they can control, and and they're gonna they're gonna be a little more hands off on what they can't control. Yeah. I, if I'm a reg, if I'm a regular entrepreneur working in the tech space, I just cannot control what the government is going to do about antitrust. I can't. So instead, I'm just going to manage what I can manage, and um and that's what I generally find the average entrepreneur to be dealing with. I mean, they have they have more tools at their disposal. Um, but, uh, in, in some ways that can be amazing, right? I mean, you have, just think about, think about all the problems of starting a business that like Shopify has just made disappear. Um, but at the same time, of course, now you also, if you're running a business, you got to make sure that you're, you're, um, being active on like five different social media, uh, uh platforms. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. uh, and, and, and that you're like monitoring every possible way that someone is going to either try to reach you or speak about you. It is a sort of endless chaos. And I, I think that the, the average entrepreneur is basically, um, at all times trying to keep up and trying to drive conversation. And, uh, and, and in their spare time, maybe they'll engage with like whatever it means to be a modern entrepreneur, but like that's, you know, I, I, I just, when I talk to entrepreneurs, they're, they're, um, yeah, they're treating it like a human pursuit, which is ultimately what it is. What do you think? Yeah. Of, oh, go ahead. Rich. Yeah. Just, a, just really quick, Matt, there is a lot of noise out there. And what I would say is, you know, to Elon and tons and tons of other uh, very successful entrepreneurs out there. Be very, very careful of what you say on certain platforms. Oh, yeah. Because there are a lot of young people coming up wanting to invest um, in the stock market, uh, Web3 or, you know, altcoins or Bitcoin. Um, they're starting their own businesses now. Um, be careful what you say because people are actually listening, these millions and millions of people. And your words have consequences to some people. Um I won't bring up Doge, the whole Doge thing with with Elon. I think he's he's brilliant in a lot of ways, but be careful where you push people. You know, I think something we were talking about, uh, and both of us were really curious about this, uh, Jason, is Web three as it relates to publishing, because that that directly ties into Twitter, into decentralization. Do you see future models happening in the future? Do you see? micropayments do you see decentralized social media as maybe solving some of the problems that we're dealing with today only if they build off of the existing ways that people consume uh, i i just i don't think you you can over the course of a generation or two shift the way that people consume but you can't do it overnight so i've seen so many micropayments startups come and go i i, I was a casual advisor to one of them a while ago. And, uh, and I, I think the greatest challenge that they face is that they're, they're expecting a, the consumer to develop very quickly a new relationship with content. Um, the smartest one, the smartest one that I heard of, which I just, I was just talking to a friend who was considering 
uh, an investment and I can't even remember the name of the company, but they were structuring it less like a micropayments thing and more like a um, one-off small paywall, which I thought made a lot of sense. People understand paywalls. The problem with paywalls is that <laughs> it's generally a long-term subscription. It's got a higher cost and not everyone is like, you know, sometimes people just want to read one article and they're like, eh, I'm not going to pay like $10 a month for this one article. I don't want, I don't want a long-term commitment here. I just want this article. So this startup has started experimenting with, well, what would people pay? Would they pay 50 cents for this article? Would they pay a dollar for this article? Now we're talking about something people are already familiar with. They already know the paywall and now you're making a better paywall. Same thing as I said before, people don't like new things. What they like is better versions of old things. And this startup is seeing great success in, in that because it's a, because it's solving a problem inside of an existing relationship. Um, I think that once we start getting into uh, once we start getting into like just completely different ways to think about relationship with content or relationship with each other through social media, we're starting to ask too much of people uh, all at once. And so I, I think we need to see a, a slower drift uh, uh, towards these things. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, like, where's the where's the Web three version of a of a of a sort of existing familiar social network um, that just kind of has one additional functionality that people say, ah, finally, I think that's your starting point. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I ran product for uh, Newsweek for for uh, a while back in the day mm. and uh, introduced the idea of micropayments, and it was like I was an alien coming right. down from. Uh, from Mars, oh. and sometimes being too early is the same as being wrong. I often yep. say that. Um, and but w one good example that I always bounce back to, and it's is it foolproof? No, but the guys at Brave are doing a really stellar job with their basic attention coins um, and bringing people's capturing people's eye uh, eyeballs um, for for advertising, mm -hmm. but paying them in tokens that they then can tip and pay out their favorite authors, editors, uh, writers, uh, designers, whoever they want on their websites. So it's an interesting model. It's been around for a while. It's nothing yeah. new, uh, five, six years now. Um, they're doing a great job. They're not stirring the pot. They understand a lot of the problems that we even touched upon today. And they're just doing a wonderful job. And they're solid people. So um, right. great company. Uh, that sounds very interesting. And, you know, let's also remember there, there's always going to be, if you've got a good idea, there's always going to be some kind of early adopter user base. And sometimes the greatest thing that you can do is just build something for the early adopters and then let them evolve your product to a wider audience. I mean, Twitter is an example of that. Twitter was very confusing in the early days. I remember when there like, wasn't a retweet. And so you have to, everyone just started by manually typing in RT. <laughs> right? um, and then, and then eventually it evolved because, because the platform saw how users were using this. The users were basically identifying problems and then coming up with solutions on their own. And then you build those solutions into the product itself. And, 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 you know, and, and I think that's a way in which you could start with something that makes sense to enough early adopters and then watch how they use it and then start to grow outward from there until you capture a, a, a wider audience that, that isn't, isn't ready for something as radical. Yeah, you, 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 Jason, you touch on something very interesting, which we're really interested in through the idea of DAOs, um, the idea of communal decision making, right? And if you look at any platform, as soon as someone, the CEO or product 
person says, you know what, here are the mandates for this week. And maybe it's herky-jerky and it's not really rooted in anything that people can sink their teeth into. It comes down as authoritarianism, you know, like it's the authority coming down rather than, hey, I'm contributing to this platform. I want I would love to be a voice. Yeah, right. I I mean, that's that's totally true. And I find DAOs are very interesting for that reason. But of course, as anybody who's worked in a corporate environment knows, if you have a group of people who are assigned to do something and no one has been given um, ownership of it, then nobody will do it. Uh, And so you have to find this balance between nobody likes top down. But at the same time, if nobody owns something, nobody will move it forward. Um, I see that every day at Entrepreneur, and it's not unique to Entrepreneur. It's every organization where we'll have a yeah. meeting. It'll say, All right, we're going to do this new thing, but nobody walks away with the ownership of this new this new um, initiative, and therefore, it's never going to happen. Yeah, you have to lead. Someone has to always lead the discussion and cultivate the ideas um, collectively. So, yeah, good, very good point. Very good, point. Jason. We know we know you're a busy guy. So, just to, and kind of in wrapping up, first of all. Again, everybody love the book, uh, worth checking out. But just before we go, um, can you give our audience a recommendation? People who are in Web3 as entrepreneurs, what would you say is a major takeaway they should be keeping in mind? And then where can they learn more about you? Obviously, Entrepreneur Magazine. Obviously, they can follow your podcast. But where can they keep up with Jason Pfeiffer? Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks for having me on, guys. And, and you, you, you would come up with a, a, a long list of thoughtful questions that you sent me in advance. And then I don't know that we got to any of them. But uh, <laughs> but you know what? That's that's how good conversations happen, I think. Um, I agree. I, you know, totally I, agree. I always, yeah, I, I learned long ago to not even bother uh, with questions. But um, so uh, anyway, the book, uh, you know, as, as you've very kindly referenced and held up, is called Build for Tomorrow. Uh, it's an action plan for uh, this, the, the subtitle, an action plan for embracing change, adapting fast, future-proofing your career. You can find it in any platform, uh, in any format you like, except for Stone Tablet. So it's an audio book, e-book, hardcover. Um, great for, you know, anybody who's contemplating uh, making change uh, in their lives or introducing change to others. Um, and, uh, you know, you can find me on uh, all the social platforms. Uh, Jason Pfeiffer is my, is my name. Hey, Pfeiffer is generally my handle. Uh, you know, please reach out. I, I love engaging with folks. Jason, thanks so much. Yes, thank you. thank you so much. Dig in, guys. He's a great guy to listen to and, and fun and informative. So thank, thank you. you.